Well, good morning and uh, welcome to the first entirely live stream service at North Roanoke Baptist Church. Uh, I wish we could all be together in the same room. We miss you. We miss being a part uh, of an entire congregation worshiping God, but I'm thankful that we're able to worship God together and yet still be apart. It's a it's a common grace of God that He's given to all of us that we have the technology that allows us to, to do something like this. There really hasn't been a time before now in which we could be together and yet still be isolated to our own home. So I'm, I'm thankful to God for the way that He continues to, to bless us in the midst of a crisis. Uh, this morning we're going uh, to be in the book of Romans. We're going to be taking a break from Hebrews if you've been with us for the last couple weeks. We're continuing in Hebrews, but we're going to be in the book of Romans this morning looking at a passage that I, that I really believe is pertinent to the, to the situation that we find ourselves in. So Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25. So if you have a Bible with you, with your family, open up and follow along with us this morning. If there is one benefit to the coronavirus it's been that people as a whole are beginning to, to ask bigger, deeper questions than they're used to asking. Why do viruses exist? What's the point? Questions about life, questions about death begin to, to crop up in the minds of individuals who on a normal day would never think about death. Death is a foreign concept that we do not like to think about. But in times like this, in the midst of a pandemic, we're forced to, to think about life, to think about death, and to prepare ourselves for the coming judgment. No matter how much you try to run away from it, the reality of judgment looms large as an instinct within man. God has put it there for a reason, and we would do well to prepare far more to stand before God than we would prepare for a crisis by buying up toilet paper. But the wonderful reality for followers of Christ is that because Jesus lived a sinless life, because He died in our place, and because He rose again, He has purchased for us an eternity that will far outweigh any and all sufferings that will take place in this life. Now do not misunderstand me. The sufferings that we face here are real and they are terrible. Cancer is awful. Hurricanes are deadly. And the coronavirus can effectively shut down the entire world. But compared to eternity, they are not worth comparing. And it's this truth that we see in our passage this morning. So hopefully you have Romans chapter 8 pulled up by now on your device in your Bible. Hear now the Word of God. Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. 
For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, even though it is quite unorthodox, something we're, we're not used to, to seeing, to being a part of. Lord, I, I'm thankful and we praise you that we can still worship through technology. It is a blessing to be able to, to worship you uh, in this way. And I pray that as we move into uh, the preaching of your word that you would speak, Lord, help our anchor to be Christ as we just heard and just sung that our sure and steady anchor is not in ourselves, it's not in our government, it's not in this world, but it's in Christ. And so I pray that He would be glorified, that our eyes would be open to who He is and what He has planned for us in eternity. Lord, we thank You in advance for what You're going to do. And it's in Your Son's beautiful name that I pray. Amen. So the first idea I want you to see is this, that suffering is real. Suffering is real. Paul does not discount the suffering that Christians go through. In fact, suffering is an expectation for Christians. We should not be surprised when suffering comes. Jesus tells us, in the world you will have tribulations. In this world you will suffer. You will have trials. You will have tribulations. But he says this, but take heart. I have overcome the world. The promise that Jesus gives is not the absence of suffering as if it's rare for the Christian, but that Christ has overcome the suffering by His death and resurrection. Let me say that again. The promise that Jesus gives to His followers is not the absence of suffering as if we should be surprised, as if it's rare for us to endure, but that in the midst of suffering, Christ has already overcome. Now, suffering takes many different forms. The coronavirus, cancer, the death of a child, the death of a spouse, the loss of a job, persecution for the faith. Suffering comes in a variety of ways, and it's real, it hurts, but it's not the end. It's not the end. Paul does not diminish or lessen the suffering that we face. However, what he does is he compares it to the glory of eternity. For as painful as your suffering is, and for as long as it lasts, whether it's seconds, minutes, days, weeks, months, or years, when compared to the glory of being with Christ for eternity, it's not even worth comparing. Christ is so glorious, so wonderful, so majestic that He is worth any and all suffering that is endured in order to get to Him. To being with Christ, having Christ, is the great gain of salvation. It's not just the forgiveness of sins. It's that we get God. And nothing can separate us from Him. And it's this reality that is the foundation for the rest of Paul's argument in our passage 
this morning. As we continue, we, we learn of the suffering of the futility that we face in this world, but all the while we understand that Christ has overcome and we know that the glory is going to far outweigh the suffering. And so he continues on in verse 19. Look down at your, your text. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. Some of the last words written in the Bible in the book of Revelation are these words from the Apostle John. He says, Come Lord Jesus. After all that he'd witnessed in his revelation with the culmination in the new heavens and the new earth, his final thought was, Come quickly, Lord. Come quickly. And this is the cry of every Christian that understands the glory of eternity. That as good as this life is, come Lord Jesus. Come Lord Jesus. But did you know that while this is the cry of every Christian, that all of creation, that creation itself is waiting for that moment just as we are? Paul personifies creation. He, he gives it personal qualities by saying that it is, it is eagerly longing for the revealing of the sons of God. It's longing for this to take place. Now the question is, when is this going to take place? What is, what is the context in which the revealing of the sons of God takes place? And that's an important question to ask. The revealing of the sons of God will take place when Christ returns and judges the world. He will separate everyone into one of two groups. Two groups. There's only two groups. The sheep and the goats. The saved and the unsaved. The believers and the unbelievers. There are only two groups. There is the Christian and there is everyone else. There's no third category. There's no riding the fence. You're in one of two groups. You either follow Christ or you are under the wrath of God. That's it. But why would, why would creation eagerly wait for this moment? Right? Eager longing brings to mind uh, the thought of a child right? In the, in the month of December longing for Christmas. We have the calendar on the wall and it's the, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth. And he's just eagerly longing, anticipating Christmas to arrive. So why would creation, why would the trees, why would the oceans, why would the dogs and cats and pineapples and everything else look forward to this moment? Why is creation eagerly longing and anticipating this moment? And the answer is found in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility. Not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it. The creation has been subjected to futility. Now what does this word mean? It means that creation is incapable of producing what it was designed to produce. It's broken. It's marred. And this is why it's longing for the day of judgment to come. It longs to be restored. But what happened to it in the first place? How did it come to be broken? In the beginning, all creation was as it should be. 
Genesis 1 and 2. Everything was perfect. Everything was in harmony with its Creator. If you remember the refrain that is said, it was good, it was good, and finally it was very good. Everything was as it should be. However, when Adam and Eve sinned against God, they were not the only ones affected. In fact, because of sin, the ground itself was cursed by God. No longer would it easily yield fruit, but man must now work laboriously. He had to work the ground in order to survive. Man must now struggle to survive because of the ground and all of creation has been cursed. Death, decay, corruption, brokenness all enter in because of sin. All of creation is now subject to death because of sin. And this should remind us that that sin, our sin, is not just a private affair. But it has cosmic consequences. It's not a private affair in your bedroom, in the living room, with that one other individual. But it has cosmic consequences. Creation has been under a curse. The curse of God since the first sin. It only took one sin to plunge the world into brokenness and futility. Sin then is the answer to the question, why are there viruses? The coronavirus exists because of sin. This is known as a a natural evil. An evil that, that finds its root in nature. It's not evil that is committed man against man, but happens to man as a result of being in a broken world. Hurricanes, droughts, wildfires, cancer, Alzheimer's, the coronavirus are all examples of this natural evil that came about, that find its origin because of sin. However, we're not the victims of natural evil. All of this evil, hurricanes, droughts, they're meant to teach us a lesson. They are a parable given of this is how bad our sin is. It's meant to teach us the heinousness of our sin. The wages of sin is death. That is what our sin rightly deserves. Cancer, the coronavirus, they're all meant to shock us back into the reality of just how bad our sin is before a holy God. One sin plunged the world into futility, and yet we take our many daily sins as if they're light. My sin isn't that bad, at least I haven't killed anyone. All the while forgetting that futility that creation has been subjected to is due to one single sin. And the good news in the midst of the dark world is that creation has been subjected to futility in hope. Creation has a hope that it will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. Freedom from corruption and decay. The same freedom that Christ has called us to is the same freedom that creation will enjoy in the future. 
We need to remember that Christ in His death and resurrection not only secured our individual salvation, but also purchased redemption for all of creation as He will one day return and make all things new. The day that we look forward to. The day in which sinners will be judged and we will see our Savior face to face and enter into glory with Him is the same day in which the new heavens and the new earth will arrive and creation will have its freedom. One of my favorite songs during the Christmas season is Joy to the World. I absolutely love this song and it really bothers me that we often skip the third verse of this song because in the third verse we see a a display of the cosmic implications of the Gospel. Isaac Watts writes this, Some of you very well may know this. In the third verse of Joy to the World, it says this, No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. He came to make His blessings flow, far as the curse is found. There is a day coming in which the curse will be taken away. There is a day coming in which all sickness will be wiped away. There will be no more coronavirus, no more lockdown, no more cancer, no more pain, no more suffering. All will be made right and God will wipe away every tear from our eyes. That is the day we look forward to with anticipation. That is the glory that is worth any and all sufferings that we may and will face in this world. It's not here yet but it's coming. It's not here yet, but it is coming. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. So until that day, creation will continue to groan. And look at the description of the groaning. You see that in the text? It has been groaning together in the pains of of childbirth until now. And I'll be honest, I've, I've never birthed a child before. I've never had that experience, but from what I've heard, it seems to be quite painful. But it's interesting to me that on the same day in which creation was cursed, childbearing was made painful. Both are a result of the fall into sin. We would have neither if it were not for sin. So the groaning of creation because of the curse is the same type of groaning that a mother endures in the pains of childbirth. But the wonderful truth of this, though, is that in bearing a child, the pain is intense, the suffering is intense, but the moment the child is born, the mother quickly forgets it for the joy of having that baby in her arms. All of the pain was worth it to have this child. And in the same way, creation is, is groaning in the pains of childbirth, but it will only do so for a time. Because there's a day coming in, when, in which it will be restored to glory that it was always meant to have. The suffering, though real, will have all been worth it. And this is true not just for creation. Look back at your text at verse 23. And not only the creation, 
But we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for the adoption as sons. The redemption of our bodies. If creation groans for its coming redemption, how much more should the people of God groan for redemption? We who have the first fruits of the Spirit, who, who acts as our seal of the coming redemption, He's our guarantee, we long within ourselves to be with Jesus. The Spirit who, who is God dwells within us now, so God dwells within us, but there's a day coming when we will see our Savior face to face. And this is the day that we long for. This is what Paul means when in Philippians 1.23 he says, My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Why? For that is far better. When you compare a continued life in a broken world with an eternity with God, no matter how good our lives are, it's not even worth the comparison. It is far better to be with Jesus. Now please understand me in this. Paul is not longing to die. He's not depressed in this moment. He's not suicidal. But he is a man that sees clearly. Even the best of this life is not worth it compared to the glory of the next. This is Paul's point. He knows that God has him here for a purpose. In fact, if you read that verse in its context, that's what he is speaking about. He knows he's here for a, a purpose. He's going to be faithful to what he's been called to do. But that does not make heaven any less appealing for him. As long as we are on this earth, we are to be faithful to the task that God has given to us. He's ultimately in control and we are to work as unto the Lord until He calls us home. If you have breath in your lungs right now watching on YouTube, then God has work for you to do. We can long for heaven, and we should rightly long to be with Jesus, but that does not alleviate our responsibility to be faithful on earth. We have a taste of being with, uh, with God now because of the Holy Spirit, but there is a day coming when we will be with Him, not in part, but completely to dwell with Him for eternity. Paul is exactly right. That is far better. Creation will be made new, and that is wonderful. However, we get something that is far greater. We are adopted as sons. No longer are we plagued with sinful desires, but we will be made perfect as children of God. Dwelling in the presence of God, not as a servant, but as a son. The Son of God came to earth in order to make sinners sons. The God who spoke everything into creation, who reigns and rules over all now, is your Father for those who have been born again, for those who have repented of their sins and trusted in Christ. We're going to our Father. It's a homecoming that we cannot begin to imagine. But not only will we be adopted as sons, but our 
physical bodies will be redeemed as well. In the same way that, that Christ has a body in His resurrection that is physical. If you'll remember, he, he tells the disciples, hey, feel my hand, feel my side. I'm here with you. And not only does He do that, but He eats in front of them, right? Praise God. He has a physical body in His resurrection, so will we have a resurrected body. 1 Corinthians chapter 15.49 says, Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, just as we've had this perishable body like Adam, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. We will have a resurrected, glorified body with Jesus for eternity. We have redeemed bodies that are no longer plagued with, with sickness or, or hunger or thirst or weir, uh, weariness. They will have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Philippians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 says, But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. Our citizenship is in heaven. Adopted as a child of God, we now await the final redemption that is coming because of what Christ has done. Not because we've worked for it, not because we've been moral, upstanding individuals, but because Christ has purchased it with His own blood. That's our hope. That's our hope. Look at 24 and 25. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is, is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. In this hope we are saved. Christ crucified and risen is our hope. It's not something we can earn. It's what Christ has done for us. And this is a hope that Last. It's a hope that in, endures in the midst of pandemic and crisis. It is a hope that endures. And it's our only hope. There is no redemption apart from Him. Without Jesus, we are left in the death and destruction that our sin deserves. There are only two groups. Remember this reality. You are either a follower of Christ saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, or you are under the wrath of God. Rightly do your sin. There is no in-between. Our hope is unseen at this moment. We cannot see the Father reigning and ruling over all. We cannot see the Son being crucified and rising for that happened 2,000 years ago. We cannot see the Spirit moving within the hearts and lives of people. Though we can see the result, much like wind blowing, we see the result, but we don't see the wind. So our hope is unseen, but it is a true hope. Our hope is a confident expectation that God will do exactly what He said He would do. And since we do not see it, we are to wait with patience. We do not see the new heavens and the new earth now, but we will. We do not see and feel our redeemed bodies, but we will. This is a promise from God. 
So our job in the moment is to, is to bring glory to Christ in all that we do. How you respond to the coronavirus will display where your hope is. How you love your neighbor in times like this will display where your hope is. And it's interesting, historically, in the midst of plague, in the midst of an epidemic or a pandemic, when everyone is running out, Christians have been the one to stay and to run in in order to to care for the sick. Christians have been the ones who have sacrificed in order to love God and their neighbor, in order to see them taken care of. Now, why would they do this? When everyone's running out, why would they run in? It's because we have a hope that transcends this life. We have an unseen hope that cannot be taken away from us. It cannot be taken away. The suffering is real. There is real hurt and real fear in the hearts and lives of many of those around us. Maybe even in some of those watching this right now. It's real. But we have a hope. The sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is coming to us because of what Jesus has done. Do you believe that? Is your hope in a, in a cure or a, a vaccine or your bank account? Or is it in the crucified and risen Christ? Only Christ can bring hope. Only Christ can satisfy your soul. Only Christ can reconcile you to the Father. Only Christ can make a way to have us adopted as sons, redeem our bodies. Only Christ can bring hope. And it's a hope that endures into eternity. Far greater than we can even begin to imagine. It's in a chaotic world and it's going to seemingly get all the more chaotic in the days to come. We can rest. We can rest in the redemption that Christ died and rose again to give you. We can rest in a a loving Father who is not absent in the midst of all of this. He's not detached. He's with us. He is for us. And we see that in Christ. And if God is for us, who can be against us? And He's working all of this for our good, to make us more like Jesus. So we can rest in His promises. Rest and then love and serve those that are around us. Displaying a holiness to a watching world that is in desperate need for a hope that endures. And it's found only in Christ. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you for the fact that we can meet even in this unconventional way. Lord, we we praise you that in the midst of sufferings, in the midst of that we have a hope that transcends them all. That the sufferings of this present day, and they are real, but they are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed. Help us to to rest in who you are and what Christ has accomplished for us. Help us to live in holiness in the midst of these dark days that we might be lights to those 
that are around us that are in desperate need of salvation. Use us, we pray. Make us more like your son. And it's in his name that I pray. Amen.